At night, Henrietta felt like magic. And at night, magic felt like it might be a terrible thing. Chapter 9, page 90, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and all of my feelings about baby ravens, OMG, you guys. <laughs> this is episode three, and we'll be covering chapters nine through 11 of The Raven Boys. We will also be taking a deep dive on ley lines. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before you listen. We will use the pronunciations from the audiobooks. And page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions where available. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. And she has her wine with her right now. <laughs> I am prepared. So, since you're prepared, let's get to the episode. All right. <laughs> so, the character that we're going to talk about this time, it's just one, and we're just going to talk about Mallory very, very briefly. He's very old and very British. Ve- very, very fucking old and very <laughs> British. That's it. That's what we got to say. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Chapter 9, Gansey POV. Gansey is woken at midnight by a phone call from his elderly British mentor, Mallory. They discuss finding the ley line and a possible ritual that may wake it. Gansey, excited by the new possibilities, wants to talk to someone. He goes looking for Ronan, but Ronan is gone. Gansey rushes out to try to find him, afraid he may have once again harmed himself. So we have three chapters here that we're going to cover, and all of them basically deal with people being woken up in the middle of the night triptych of insomnia although blue lucky enough for her doesn't actually have insomnia she's woken up by someone else mm-hmm. starts out with the line that Gansey wakes up with the moon full on his face and i just kind of want to put a pin in that because it is echoed later and it helps to establish the timeline of how the book progresses yes as we were saying earlier, Gansey wakes up at midnight to a phone call from Mallory, his old mentor. It's 5 a.m. in Sussex where Mallory is. And Mallory is an early riser, which is why he's calling so early for him and late for Gansey. Gansey mentions that Mallory was either 80 or 100 or 200 years old. Which <laughs> totally is the Adam and Ronan line in Blue Lily Lily Blue where Adam says, he's so old. And then it's like, the oldest. <laughs> He really is. Yeah. So a piece of trivia that I love about Mallory is that Gansey was actually supposed to be the old professor character. So this <laughs> this really like in early drafts basically take Gansey's face and slap him on Mallory's personality, <laughs> which to me I mean you kind of can already. You can, which to me some this I feel like this somewhat explains Gansey's old manness. I, I think it does. That so, actually makes that make a lot of sense. Does this count as a drink? Yes. Okay. Yes, because there's really no other Gansey called an old man in this particular (laughs) chapter. So take a drink. I just really want to drink some wine, you guys. (laughs) It's Friday night. What are you? Yeah. We are recording on a Friday night, which is different than a normal recording schedule. And we've both had a really long week. (laughs) 
So Mallory was the first to take Gansey seriously when Gansey was still just 15. Mm-hmm. And Gansey is very grateful for this. Right. And doesn't want to forget that. Yeah. And it establishes a timeline for when Gansey was in England and Wales. And to me, it seems like Gansey was in, it says he was, he spent a summer Mm-hmm. going between England and Wales. And so if he was 15, it must have been the summer right before he came to Aglenby. Right. So that's where he was. Mm-hmm. I also like the note that Mallory knew better than to call Gansey by his Christian name. And who even uses that as a term anymore? Because like old people, <laughs> old people. Gansey, that's who. Seriously, another drink. I'm just going to drink. Gansey has uh, trouble with Mallory's accent Mm-hmm. And Liz, he mentions that he's usually really good with accents, but Mallory's gives him right. gives him trouble. And he listens for a full 12 minutes before he even says anything. Yeah, no, I the whole Gansey has a list of things why Mallory, his accent is terrible. And he says bad breeding. And I'm like, you are a classist douche, Gansey. Mm-hmm. That is such an asshole thing to say. <laughs> or even yeah. think. I he, mean, obviously, he's not saying it out loud, right. but... And yeah, Gansey can be a douche sometimes. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hello. Listen to episode two where we talk about Gansey is a douche and episode three and episode four and mm. episode five. I also find it interesting that like Gansey is completely noncommittal. Like, you know, just listens to Mallory ramble yeah, on. Yeah. And then the second Mallory mentions ley lines, Gansey's like full attention. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, my comment was Gansey so excited. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a quote. If they're still present but not active, the energy would be very faint and irregular. And I just feel like the piece that they're missing here is really what Adam ultimately learns from Persephone, which is that it's one thing to wake the ley lines, but another thing entirely to actually heal it and make it usable. And waking it just makes it stronger throughout the dream thieves and it makes it unstable and dangerous. Right. Another thing that I noticed about Gansey's focus is that he starts working on Mm -hmm. the mini Henrietta and to me that says okay he's awake and he's focused because right. like that's what he does when he can't sleep right right and the discussion is also interesting like when they're trying to figure out why they can't just wake the ley line mm-hmm. like why it doesn't work like Glendower does where just by finding it mm-hmm. and Mallory suggests that it's because they're buried either they were buried originally like they've always been buried or it's been buried through time yeah, to me, it seemed like what Mallory was saying was basically erosion or like, you know, volcanic activity or whatever mm-hmm. over the centuries has buried them under meters of soil. Yeah, just life in general just buries. Right, right. That's how archaeology works. Right. But OK, so how does Mallory actually know this? Because he does not say that he saw that in the reference. He's just like, oh, by the way, they're buried. Yeah. BT dubs. Thanks, exposition yeah, monkey. I, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really say It doesn't where, say where he... It, yeah. And he mentions that no one's really touched the ley lines for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And then there's the quote, you and I, we don't walk the lines, we just follow the echoes. And Mallory's theory had a ring of plausibility, which was all that Gansey needed. And Gansey just wants it so. So he believes it to be so, and that's enough for him. Right. Gansey is now super excited to start working on this project. He's ready to go questing again now. He feels a sudden stab of resentment towards being a teen and and towards having to go to school. And he thinks to himself, is this how Ronan feels all the time? And it's like, yes, Gansey, it is. (laughs) Marinate on that for a little while, why don't you? Uh Uh-huh. 
I just, I think Mallory is super funny. Oh, yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> He's the greatest. Like, do you know how many people die in caves every year? Right. And I'm thinking like, yeah, quite a few in Blue Lily Lily Blue, right. actually. Absolutely foreshadowing. Okay, does he already know that Gansey does spelunking? Wouldn't he know that? Yeah, because like you mentioned in your notes, the, the that he has equipment. the used equipment yeah. in Blue Lily Lily Blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but spelunking is more dangerous than motorcycle riding. Okay, no, no, no. He specifically <laughs> says motorcycle racing, racing because right. I looked this up. I researched this to see if he was correct. And it was a very cursory search. Uh-huh. I didn't find a whole lot of data. He actually probably is if he's talking about track motorcycle racing because there's a medical team on site right so they are going to immediately jump into rescue mode if someone's injured so it's basically mallory picking selective facts oh by the way right more people die in caves well right okay <laughs> but there's not like a freaking context, helicopter mallory, there context. <laughs> yeah so gansey thinks he always seemed to think he meant texas and I have been to Europe, can confirm. Yes, I think I think all foreigners think we <laughs> pretty, are pretty Texans. much Texas. Yeah. And then when Mallory said it, it sounded inevitable. Follow it to your king. I really like that line mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. And again, we see Gansey viewing Glendower and the quest as something meaningful and something that only he can do and something that matters with no price tag. This, of course, resonates on a couple of different levels because. The something more, obviously, is a through line through the books. And that comes up over and over and over. And he does actually say something more in this quote. Mm -hmm. And the something that matters kind of echoes the we matter when he's talking about Kavinsky, why Kavinsky's no good and he doesn't matter, we matter. Mm -hmm. And also, I want to really put my finger on this because Gansey is looking for something that he has earned And yet Adam also wants to have something that he has earned. And yet Gansey has this huge blind spot on why Adam needs to earn these things for Mm -hmm. himself. And I just... why Adam feels the way he does about about asking for help from Gansey. Or or accepting help from Gansey. Or, yeah, or just why he wants to do it for himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, why he wants to make his own way and... In the world, which is basically what Gansey is wanting to do as well. Right. But yet there's this blind spot of he doesn't seem to be able to recognize where Adam's coming from with that. Right. And then there is a quick little mention of something called the Lockyer Road. And I wasn't able to pinpoint whether or not it's actually called the Lockyer Road. But I did track down a reference to the old Sorum Lay which was originally noticed by Sir Norman Lockyer, who was an astronomer slash archaeoastronomer. And this is the ley line that supposedly travels through Stonehenge and Salisbury and in through several other major historical mm-hmm. sites in the UK. So I found some really good references in a particular book called Sacred Geometry. Okay. But I'm... Okay, so Mallory says he's going to basically perform the ritual on Lockyer Road, which is the road, the ley line that goes through oh, Stonehenge. Okay. This is the one that rips the guy's... Uh-huh. Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you mess with, like, the most powerful... Yeah, why would you mess known, with Stonehenge? Why would you mess with the ley line that goes through Stonehenge? <laughs> that makes... Mallory, you are making poor choices in your life. Uh-huh. 
So we're going to go into our deep dive and we're going to talk about ley lines. Okay, so I'm going to give a kind of short description of what I found. I am more of a skeptic on these things. They're, they're... Are you saying I'm not? <laughs> I just happened to, to... Okay, go ahead. No, I mean, I find <laughs> it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I'm fairly skeptical about these things, but I also want to be credulous. Yes. And so... I want to believe, I want but... to. Yeah, I want to believe that these things actually exist, but, you know, mm-hmm. I also have to look at it as there is no scientific proof so mm-hmm. i also went to a school that people swore up and down had a ley line running through it so it might have it might mm-hmm. have been the henrietta ley line <laughs> might, have been, might have been what the henrietta ley line oh. <laughs> <laughs> i was giving like never it's mind. all right continue anyway so Alfred Watkins came up with the idea of the ley line, coined the term in 1921. He was on a trip to Blackwardine in Herefordshire. I noticed that various ancient features in the area seemed to line up, as his son said, like a chain of fairy lights is mm. the description that, that his son gave. Structures such as standing stones and wayside crosses, causeways, hill forts, and ancient churches on mounds, they seemed to form oddly straight lines when, mm. he, when he looked at them. And Watkins concluded that this was a result of the ancient Brits creating straight travel paths through what was in much more densely forested areas using prominent features as landmarks. Yeah, and I didn't put this in the notes, but it actually did remind me a lot of the California missions, mm-hmm. where although you couldn't see the missions from each other, you knew that it was in a straight line and you knew that it was within one day's ride. So right. a rider knew that he could stay the night one place and then stay the night at the next place and then stay the night. And it, they were very specifically planned that way. Mm, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. And so John Mitchell's 1969 book, The View Over Atlantis, combined Watkins' ideas with feng shui. Mm -hmm. This version of the theory took hold in dowsing in New Age communities and grew to include the idea that the lines held some sort of mystical or psychic or spiritual energy. Right. And uh, theories for the source of this energy include a connection to the Mm -hmm. magnetic fields. Right. And of course, none of this has been scientifically verified. There have been, it's been tried, but nobody's ever like proven anything about it. Mm -hmm. To demonstrate how ley lines are almost certainly just coincidence, archaeologist Richard Atkinson gave what's called the telephone box lay illustration, mm-hmm. where he took a map of the position of public phone boxes and uh, showed that one could find similar lines in their placement, even though that alignment was like not intentional at all. Right. It's basically like if you put a bunch of points on the map, mm-hmm. you will be able to draw a line through some of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scatter graph, people. Yeah, it's a yeah. scatter graph. Yeah. Now, I reference Lockyer and what he did was archaeoastronomy, which was the study of how people in the past have understood the phenomena in the sky and how they use these phenomena and what role the sky played in their culture. So what he looked at were things like Stonehenge and the pyramids Mm -hmm. and kind of how those lined up with things like the solstice. That is such an interesting and such a 
in which, such a specific study. Right, right. <laughs> and he was sort of the grandfather of that study. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led into the ley lines as well. But with that in mind, I actually would like to take it back because the concept of straight paths of invisible energy or movement far, far predates the 1900s. So it's really easy to say, oh, in 1921, the ley lines were made up. But that's not actually the case because you can trace ley lines back to the ancient folkloric concept of the corpse road or fairy paths. Mm -hmm. And the corpse roads, as are described in the Raven Boys, on the surface, they're a practical means of transporting bodies to the churchyard for burial. Mm -hmm. But mystically, they were supposedly straight routes that the spirits of the dead would travel and as such needed to be kept clear of all obstacles. Otherwise, spirits would stop. Right. Just like in the book. Just like in the book. Fairy paths also were considered to be roads that the Fae traveled from significant place to significant place, Mm -hmm. often meaning landmarks like hollow hills or burnt out trees or fairy rings Mm -hmm. that we humans would have at that time considered portals to the Fae realm. For example, these two are tied together and Puck muses in Shakespeare's A Midsummer's Night's Dream. Now it is that time of night that the graves all gaping wide Everyone lets forth his sprite in the churchway's paths to glide. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't actually put them together if you didn't actually know that there was a tie between the corpse roads and the fairies. Right. So there are stories of bad luck and misfortune falling on those whose homes or other structures were built on the fairy paths. Mm-hmm. It was recommended that a window or door be left open on one side of the house and the same happen on the other side so that they could pass through or to take other means to determine whether or not there was a ferry road running through a site before building. Right. And then I've fictionally heard of holes being left in stonework, uh, like walls on houses on one side and the other, Mm -hmm. just like one block being left out. But I wasn't able to really confirm that concisely through internet research to provide references for the show notes. But I've heard of it fictionally. So Mm -hmm. I would, you know, possibly there was some background in that. And then fair Fairy paths, even now in the modern age, perhaps superstitiously, are cited as the cause of mishaps like collapsed roads and failed construction in countries like Ireland and Iceland. Iceland is really big on really their big on the air, on mm-hmm. the elves. They yeah, call air, them the elves yeah, there. Elves. Yeah, but as recently as August of 2017, fairy forts and the curses that were associated with them were said by a member of the Irish Parliament to be the cause of continuing issues with a road between County Kerry and County Cork. Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> Editor's note, this particular parliament member seems to not believe in climate change, therefore take all opinions with a grain of salt. <laughs> all right, so we'll go back to our notes. So as the conversation draws to a close, Mallory starts talking about another funny thing that he says. He's like, well, when I was about your age, yeah. my mother was killed by the British healthcare Murder. system. Murdered by the British healthcare system. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, and he seems so happy about it. He's such a weird guy. Well, he's just, I think he's happy to have someone to ramble to. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah. He's, he's old. He's definitely odd, but he's ultimately endearing. 
he he really is. Like yeah. I I love him actually. Yeah, yeah. He's an old guy and he he wants to ramble right. as old people like to do. Mm-hmm. He's like two hundred. You gotta like <laughs> cut the dude some slack. He is the oldest, says Ronan. Mm-hmm. So Gansey is now worked up and wide awake. So he goes to look for Ronan to talk. He thinks about calling Adam first, mm-hmm. but figures that Ronan is more likely to be awake. Right. It says. Ronan swung wildly between insomnia and hypersomnia, which is a clue to Ronan being a dreamer. And then as he's approaching the door of Ronan's room, it says the thought struck him that it was empty. Is that deja vu? Is he reliving that moment? Does he know for a fact that Ronan's not in the room? Because he seems very, very certain. Mm-hmm. And again, a little clue of Noah's ghostliness. He hammered on Noah's closed door, but Noah actually doesn't show up. And he just shows up as usual. Mm-hmm. He doesn't respond for a full page. Right. It's a while. Mm-hmm. But it's another one of those things where, like, you don't specifically notice that because Gansey is in full on panic right, mode. Right, yeah. Because he's super worried Ronin. about Ronan. Legitimately. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be terrified, too. But he calls Adam. Mm-hmm. And Adam is just like silent, like, oh crap, I've got mm, to, he's quiet. I have to help. But if I go out and I get caught, then it's going to leave a mark. Like literally, that's, yeah. that's what he thinks about. Right. It could leave physical evidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could leave physical evidence and it's getting too warm for long sleeves. Yeah. And then why? Gansey, I understand being really worried about Ronan and the danger that Ronan might be in, but you're basically asking one friend to sacrifice their well-being for the potential of another friend having sacrificed their well-being. And I mean, it's ultimately, it really is Adam's decision. Adam chooses to try to leave the house. You kind of kind of have to wonder why other than he's just as scared for Ronan. Right. He wouldn't leave the house if he wasn't just as scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really do wonder, like, because at the time it doesn't seem like Adam they likes Noah yeah, at all. Yeah. Adam likes Ronan at all. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. All right. So, and then there's the quote, After dark, it felt like anything could happen. At night, Henrietta felt like magic. And at night, it felt like magic might be a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And then here we get to where Noah actually shows up. Mm-hmm. And he's described as pale and as substantial, the skin beneath his eyes darker than anything. And he looked less like Noah than the suggestion of Noah. And I want to say that that is specifically said in Blue Lily Lily uh-huh. Blue. That when Blue is trying to figure out how Noah actually presents himself, mm-hmm. it's not that Noah looked like a boy. It was the suggestion of a right. boy. That is very much repeated. Yeah. And then Noah says, check the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Noah knows already yeah. because Noah's been through this. So many yeah, times. that's my guess on that one. Mm-hmm. And obviously he had done it before. Right. And Gansey thinks to himself that he's not going to ask Noah to come along mm-hmm. because Noah found Ronan six months ago. The only time it ever really mattered. Right. And so he's exempt from ever having to look again. And they think that it was a suicide attempt and have no idea. Well, Gansey thinks it was a suicide attempt and has no idea what's actually going on. Right. Yeah. The dream thieves. You had asked. We don't really find out the truth until the Raven King. And it's the dream thieves where it's revealed that 
at least to the reader through conversations with Kavinsky, Mm -hmm. that it was a night horror that had ripped him apart. And I do believe that that gets to Gansey as well. But in The Raven King, Ronan realizes that, yes, they were actually responding to his own internalized Mm self-hatred. So technically, it was suicide attempt by proxy. Right. And then Gansey mentions that because Adam got caught that night, right? Like, and then yes, uh-huh. and then Noah didn't come to the hospital, and so Gansey was with Ronan alone that right. night yeah. while they while they sewed his skin back together. Right. When they stitched his skin whole again, he thinks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that it had been a long time ago, but also it was no time at all. Right. And you know, six months is not actually a long time. No, it's not. Although when you're seventeen, yeah, it's a lot longer than it is when you're. In your 30s. In your 40s. <laughs> and then Gansey thinks to himself that he felt like his life was made up of a dozen hours he could never forget. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it actually Just, is, Gansey. Yeah, you're living over and over in the same <laughs> cycle, buddy. He walks out, the BMW is still there and cold, and it makes a note that St. Agnes was visible from Monmouth, mm. a beacon within walking distance, which makes a lot of sense in Blue Lily, Lily Blue, when Adam is above St. Agnes and Ronan can get there on foot. Right. And Gansey carried no illusions that he'd ever recover the Ronan Lynch he'd known before Neil Lynch had died, but he didn't want to lose the Ronan he had now. Yeah. I'm just like... Oh, yeah. And I mean, I've had friends get really self-destructive and I've had friends that are no longer with us. And I, you know, how, how does it feel? And how does it feel to be like a 17 year old on their own, basically responsible for your best friend mm-hmm. and knowing that he may not be there the next day if you don't find him. And it comes back to what we discussed in the last episode where uh, and I think you reference it again later too. Gansey not letting Ronan live in his own filth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is Gansey doing the right thing? I kind of went on a little bit of a rant that he needs to let Ronan go, right. but Ronan, he needs someone right now. Mm-hmm. Like Gansey actually can't let Ronan go right now. Yeah, because if because if, if he did, Ronan go, he Ronan Gan- Ronan, Ronan would have nobody else right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So Gansey goes to Saint Agnes to look for Ronan, and he can't really seem to grasp why Ronan would go here in the middle of right. the night. Um, but he figures it's worth a shot since you know Noah suggested it. Right. And he's he's never really pegged Ronan as a religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like he, he, that just doesn't fit with his idea of Ronan. Mm-hmm. But it's important enough to Ronan that he's willing to cease fire with Declan for a couple of hours right. every Sunday to spend time there. And right. probably a lot of that has to do with Matthew. Yeah. I mean, I feel like them actually spending time together has a lot to do with Matthew. But we have to contrast that when we get to Ronan's POV and it's really revealed that Ronan is deeply religious Mm -hmm. and that he has no equivocation on whether or not God exists. And he is Catholic to the core. He really is. And he believes 100%. And it's just... He knows that there are things greater than himself, but he doesn't look the part of the devout. Right. Of course, this is a skin that he put on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily reflect who he is inside. Right. 
So Gandhi's trusting Noah here and says that Noah's good at finding things. Mm-hmm. And and the same is said of Gandhi multiple times throughout the books. Right. Basically, they're looping through time. Right, exactly. They've lived it. How many? They, I, we have no they idea. Know. They we should have know. No, they've yeah. done it before. And then, so if they know how to find things or know when things are going to happen before they happen, like, why is Gansey not finding Glendower? Exactly. What a, is the unlock or trigger mechanism for that that he has not right. done yet? Yeah. I love the description of how the church makes Gansey feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The incense-scented pocket of air, half a dozen memories of family weddings and funerals and baptisms, every one of them in summer. Mm -hmm. And it's strange how a season could be held captive in one breath of hot air. Mm -hmm. And this also seems related to cycles and Gansey reliving, just this like repeated thing and like like, Mm -hmm. contained. Yeah, and summer has been a bit of a a theme as well because all of the things that Adam's voice reminded Blue of in the last chapter Uh were also all summer summer things. Very southern summer. Yeah, I believe too that he smells like summer Mm -hmm. in a chapter or two. Mm -hmm. Gansey's voice echoing off the unseeable ceiling far overhead so that it was only his own voice that answered him. I find that so spooky because one of the one of my like biggest creep out things uh-huh. is being in a place that should be full of people and it's not. Oh god, I like, love that. You do? I love it so much. Oh my gosh, like I love being in buildings where I am the only person there and like it's oh, it's so oh, great. It's so <laughs> yeah. Like the only time I like that uh-huh. is I get to the zoo um, for my volunteer mm-hmm. work about half an hour before it opens. Right, right. And so, like, walking through, like... Right. And that's the wonderful. exhibits and things like that. Right. right. But it feels... You can feel that it's about to be... Right. And mm-hmm. when, like, leaving a theater that you have to go through like, a mall to, like, mm-hmm. go out to the parking mm-hmm. lot or whatever, and the mall is closed because the movie got out late and all the lights are out. <laughs> and, like... It's so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate it. It's <laughs> It's so creepy. <laughs> and that's why I love abandoned buildings. I uh, adore abandoned buildings. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. But yeah, so this feeling reminds Gansey of the day he got stung. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. that's that is is the, that the first, first reference. Yeah. So Gansey here, and this is, it's very subtle, but he's basically starts showing signs of his first on-page PTSD flashback. Right. And it's breathless lungs which is basically that panic attack that starts to feel like anaphylaxis and it's a very subtle nod that it really picks up steam and momentum throughout the series Uh this is the first time that we see it on page Mm mm-hmm and then he sees Ronan, and Ronan's body is a darker bit of black in an already black world. Yeah, I love that. Uh-huh. I love that line. And he wasn't moving, and Gansey yeah. thinks to himself, not tonight, don't yeah. let it be tonight. Yeah. And I'm like, I can just feel the pain and the worry. Yeah. And I'm like, I would be feeling the exact thing. Right. He smelled alcohol, and Ronan explains in The Dream Thieves that he drinks basically to slip into the dreams more easily. And so he's played off here as an alcoholic and suicidal, mm-hmm. basically all throughout right. The Raven Boys, when reality it's all because of his first secret. Right. And I unfortunately didn't have time to actually cross-reference the books, 
But I believe that Ronan basically stops drinking after the dream thieves when he learns to control his dreams. I mean, he probably doesn't stop drinking, but I believe Mm -hmm. that this whole getting drunk thing basically stops after he learns Mm -hmm. to control the dreams. I can't recall a scene offhand after that book where that comes up again. Yeah, I don't think so either. So basically his alcoholism and his suicidalness are all because of Niall Lynch. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Worst dad ever. <laughs> when we get to, yeah, when we get to the dream thieves, we're going to have to go through all of like Ronan loving his dad. I'm going to be like, oh, oh you kids. All right. This scene is so reminiscent of, yeah. mm-hmm. of uh, uh, you mentioned, especially like the Cave of Bones. Right. It's the, just, yeah, it's the first time we hear the phrase wake up. Uh-huh. And he tries to make it subtle with wake up, dude. And he uh, says he wanted but, it to be light. But it totally wasn't. But and it I'm wasn't. Like, I'm like, he's yeah. using his kingly voice. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. The whole, like, thinking that Vernon was actually dead and Vernon only mm-hmm, rose up mm-hmm. because Gansey willed it so. Right, right. Gansey asks Vernon what he's doing there, and Vernon says, I couldn't dream. Right. And that makes so much more sense in subsequent right, right, yeah. subsequent readings. Mm-hmm. And the I promise takes on a, a whole right. different meaning as well. When you actually know what's going on. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Gansey has no idea. No, no. And because we do not get any POV chapters with Ronan in The Raven Boys, which is on purpose, because if we did have POV chapters, this would not be a reveal. I mean, we would know why this was happening pretty much. But Ronan, he can't keep this promise because he has no control over his dreams right now. He's promising something that he does, in fact, know is a lie. And Gansey does call him out on it and calls him a liar. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like Gansey would actually know that he's lying there. I mean, they're best friends. That's He's got to know that Ronan's... Mm-hmm. I mean, he may not know that Ronan's hiding something, but... And I, I just think that's an interesting contrast with Adam's view that we saw last episode that Gansey likes Ronan because Ronan isn't a liar. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea that the church wakes up with Ronan. The idea, it, like yeah. just the imagery of the church feeling more alive as Ronan wakes up. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he's trying to dream there because he is so religious and it is a safe space for him. Like mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. and he probably feels like he's protected there because right now his dreams are trying to kill him. Right. But well, it's also killing him not to be able to dream. He later does say that he doesn't like sleeping around Gansey because he dreams of wasps. Mm, That's true. Maybe because he could not dream, he knew that he needed to or wanted to, so he just went to a different place to do so because he wasn't sure what he'd pull out. And that makes sense. But I also think, like, the church was very specifically chosen. Mm. It feels feels like something Ronan would do to go there because it's a safe space. And it makes sense because Adam becomes his safe space later. Uh Uh-huh. Which is also St. Agnes, but I mean, I believe that it has more to do with Adam. And then Gansey sees Chainsaw, and I'm like, oh my god, it's so 
literally Ronan's heart. Yeah, it's called out as being Ronan's heart laid bare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like next to his chest right. and and yeah. warm and living pulse, rap- right. er, rapid pulse. Right. A tiny yeah. foundling with featherless mouth still a baby's smile and wings still days and nights and days away from flight. Mm-hmm. And his fingers a compassionate cage around the raven's breast. Right. Like it's a literal rib cage. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gansey sees Ronan laid bare and he flinches. Mm-hmm. He says he didn't know if he wanted to touch something that looked so easily destroyable. Which is interesting considering in the fourth book he says Ronan's fragile. Like he still mm-hmm. has this mental picture of Ronan being something that could be crushed easily. And Ronan, when Gansey asks, Ronan says, I found it, which was it. I mean, I still, there's, you know, things that we don't know about how dreaming works, but mm-hmm. it's almost like Caveswater seems to give Ronan the things that he needs. So did he find it or was it actually given to right. him? I mean, maybe he just and found I, it. I think he did need chainsaw. Right. Yeah. Um, Ronan's also just so nonchalant about the whole thing. Well, he, he's super <laughs> drunk, too. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that even though he's super drunk, he still knew the Latin name for the common raven. Right. Well, I I mean, duh, because like, to be fair, I would know it too. <laughs> but then my car is named Garnet Corax. Uh-huh. So <laughs> like... <laughs> And Gansey mentions that Glendower and Henrietta were both known for raisins. And I've tried to find whether or not this is actually correct about Glendower or whether or not it's something that Maggie made up. And I have mm-hmm. not been able to find a specific tie to Glendower. I mean, Arthur is definitely, definitely tied to ravens. <laughs> and his spirit is said to live in ravens. Okay. And like, you know, I kind of want to do a deep dive on the mythology of Corvids, <laughs> but basically I- that would be be drinking like a bottle of wine and rambling for two hours and like <laughs> possibly crying a lot a la the I Love Cats video <laughs> it's pretty much what the, see that. the deep dive would be so <laughs> side note um, special video episode idea if we ever get a hundred followers I will do a video episode of me crying <laughs> about how much I love ravens oh that's awesome just FYI tell right, your guys, friends alright guys we need a hundred we need a hundred subscribers <laughs> I will totally drink a whole bottle of wine and cry about ravens so Ronan is so funny to me right here okay like... <laughs> uh huh yeah, go ahead. I know. You're going to insert the I love Ronan. No, work. I didn't have to. You just said it again. Um, Trickster. So Gansey's like, people find pennies or car keys or four-leaf quivers. And Ronan's like, and ravens. You're just jealous. Uh, super jealous. I'm super envious of this finding of a raven. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ravens are so great. Oh, my God. And yes. um, and Gansey's like, what if I implement a no pet policy? And he's like, oh, oh, hell, man. You can't just throw Noah out like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ronan. On <laughs> a note on that, Ronan does find, and I'm air quoting, car keys to the pig in his dreams. In it's the dream true. Thieves. He does. So. <laughs> so. Chainsaw, chainsaw craps. Yeah, chainsaw makes a mess. Yeah. And Ronan uses like 
Go ahead. <laughs> okay, Raiden uses the prayer flyer. Yeah, just a church bulletin to queen it up. And just, just kind of like hands it to Gansey. Because <laughs> he knows that Gansey will clean up after him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I read that and I just thought like, yeah, Gansey afraid that Raiden will learn yeah. to live in the mess. And Gansey thinks to himself, he already knew that he was going to let the raven go home with them because of the protective way that Ronan was holding it. I'm just like, aww. Aww. <laughs> yeah, Chainsaw definitely gives Ronan something to care about. Something Mm -hmm. to live for. Yeah. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the mouse scene where he just has this softness to him Uh about caring about the the animals. Ronan and Chainsaw already have their relationship starting to... (laughs) Like, he just... He calls her a little bastard. Yeah. Get ready for some turbulence, little bastard. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Just like... Yeah. And he has her name, no questions asked. Like, yeah. did, did she come with the name? That is the name that she came with? or Because <laughs> Gansy's like, you can't call her that. He's like, oh, her name's Chainsaw. Her name's Chainsaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Noah just shows up, as always. Yeah, and there was a note I didn't put in here, but, like, Ronan does not look at Noah, and yet he knows Noah's there. Uh-huh. He's like, Noah, you're being creepy. Creepy as hell. <laughs> as hell. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's the creepy as hell line, and then he's described as silent, and his pale face, the only thing that's visible, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and his eyes are chasms into the unknowable. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, can he be any more ghostly? <laughs> like, Well, and at this point, I still, like, I thought they knew he was a ghost. <laughs> so it totally made sense to me the first time around. I was like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. dude's like dead yeah yeah but it took me a while again i think he might be more more ghostly and less able to Mm -hmm. be solid at night and then gansy looks at noah and is like well i thought you weren't coming and noah's like oh the apartment was creepy yeah and i'm just like dude you're a ghost (laughs) yeah (laughs) well now now i'm like dude you're a ghost yeah and noah's cowardice it like is it a product of his death Because it does not ring true to what we later hear from his sister. Right. Where he was, like, super bold and, like, jumping on tables Mm -hmm. and racing cars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's some things that we hear about live Noah. We'll talk about that in in the Welk chapter, too, because Mm -hmm. it just does not... There's a big cognitive dissonance with Noah. There's some things that are the same, Uh but there are a lot of things that seem quite a bit different. Yeah. But yeah, when Noah is like, oh, the apartment was creepy, Ronan's like, you freak. And I'm just like, I think maybe Ronan might suspect. I don't know. I I really don't think he does. I just think Ronan's an asshole. Oh, that's true. I mean, because like, uh, see exhibit A calling Adam a runt. And Mm. see exhibit B calling Blue a maggot. Right. Um, I don't, I genuinely don't think he suspects because he's devastated when he finds out that Noah's dead. Right. Once they get back to Monmouth and Gansey starts to calm down, he starts to feel super guilty about asking Adam for help for what turned out to be a false alarm. Mm -hmm. Even though he's like, well, I don't know that it was actually a false alarm because something happened. Something happened, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ronan admits, like, right there that, that he's like, they're like, where did you get Dead the bird? For seven I years, got it, man. Uh huh. Like, where did you get the bird? I got it out of my head. Right. And they just let it 
fly right by just yeah. like like the seven years yeah yeah maggie did an amazing amazing recap of most of the books and she basically notes something like author cackling spoilers (laughs) yeah but for like real she lays everything out it's super obvious Mm -hmm. however we're not primed as readers to expect it to be laid out right and she does it in a very cunning way because like with noah's revelation ashley giggled laughs right afterwards right and ronan immediately laughs after his own revelation here basically playing them both off Uh uh-huh yeah and noah says that ronan's head is a dangerous place and ronan says not for a chainsaw (laughs) yeah i'm like she helps him so much yeah I really wish that it wasn't illegal to have a Corvid. <laughs> like I didn't know it was illegal. Yes, it's illegal to have a Corvid. But huh. yeah, even though ravens are basically small children with knives strapped mm-hmm. to their face, I would super cuddle one. <laughs> like forever. They're so cute. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you and amazingly smart. They're so smart, too smart. I have researched how to build an aviary for a raven. Oh wow! Like the amount of space that they need and all that kind of good stuff, and like the types of puzzles that they need. A ton of space and a ton of enrichment. (sighs) Yes, yes. Because they have to be able to work their brain. Yeah. Gansey says that he's looking out at the city, like after he's calming down, and he says that. Henrietta After Dark was a patchwork town embroidered with black tree branches. And I'm just like... It's very beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that Ronan turning up with a raven. Not just any bird, but with a raven. Mm -hmm. Coincidence? Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Yep. See, Gansey, sarcasm is super helpful. (laughs) So chapter 10 is from Welk's point of view. Welk ruminates on his attempt at waking the ley line, why he wouldn't do that so badly, and what he may have sacrificed to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Welk's the worst. He really is. Let's just start the chapter with that. Uh-huh. Welk's the worst. So, Welk was not sleeping, and I'm like, no one is tonight. Yeah, nobody sleeps ever, really, it's true. is what it comes down to. And his description of how he misses the sleep patterns of, like, when he was an Aglumby boy, you know, being up all night Mm -hmm, doing homework mm -hmm. or whatever on the weeknights and then sleeping all weekend. And I'm just like... I mean, that's basically me now, though. (laughs) (laughs) It was totally me in college. I can't do it these days, but yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, finals week, you just... I hadn't slept in, like, three days. Yeah, yeah. And he mentions, like, back then I, I didn't dream. It was a dreamless, dreamless sleep. sleep. Yeah. And he was like, no, that's not right. Everybody dreams. Only some forget. Right. But some just wish they can forget. Uh-huh. It definitely feels like a dreamer reference. Mm-hmm. It mentions that he sat bolt upright, awakened by whispers. Mm-hmm. And that he felt like his sleep patterns and energy were connected to the tide or the moon. Right. And he was more wakeful at the full moon or after thunderstorms. Right. And I don't know, that just feels like right to me. Yeah, it actually does happen to me where I'm far more insomniac during the full moon. I wake up way more often during the night and it may Mm -hmm. happen to you. Yeah. It may be a thing. It may be like white levels as well. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I know that, like, thunderstorms in particular will put me to sleep. Like, I love the sound of... The sound, uh, yeah. yeah. 
So he connects his sleep problems and energy problems to the ley line and says he feels like he may have invited something in Mm -hmm. to his body through Cherney's death. And he's probably right because that's how it works with Adam. Yes. Yeah. I do believe that Cabe's water or the ley line is speaking to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more invasive voices like we were talking about before. Whispering and hissing, right. like the wind before a storm, and it was like the very trees were conspiring. Yes, uh huh. Mm-hmm. That was the line that struck me most: was the trees themselves conspiring, mm-hmm. and the voices were talking to themselves because something strange had just happened. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, is it caves water talking about Ronin getting chainsaw? Yeah, that's my guess. Is mm-hmm. that's the thing that we're led to believe? At this point, we don't know anything about caves water or right. anything about what's really going on but that would be my guess right on this seventh read through (laughs) and we see a little bit of welk's renewed reaction right Mm -hmm. renewed interest in the ley line as he takes out his old maps yeah and and i referenced this whole passage in episode two where where we were talking about whether or not yeah we talked about the fact whether or not welk had still been actively searching for the ley line and this proves that he hasn't looked at it since basically the day he killed noah and then it very much shows a pathetic single dude bachelor life with the frozen dinners and no table to speak of and like i i feel like i should have empathy here but he is so imminently unlikable he really is he is the worst of the worst he is so no like i don't care that you're yeah i don't care that you're lonely i don't care that you're pathetic i don't care that you're not a good person terrible thing happened to you Mm -hmm. even not knowing that he's killed his best friend this guy has no redeeming qualities even in his own brain Mm -hmm. and he pulls out the maps and he looks at the markings on it and a lot of them are are noah or Cherny as right right um, and it says, Cherny's impossible handwriting, always in red. Yeah, like a ghost is impossible, spattered in blood. Right. <laughs> and he thinks to himself, oh, Cherny, you're in a better place now. Yeah, like right down the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> and in Monmouth Manufacturing. It's just, it's pretty nice, but like, it's not all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he doesn't really think this because he thinks about, oh, I've been cursed. Right. And like the voices started after that. And right. then like, you know. Yeah. Just his life never got better. And he's like, well, so I've been cursed because of my part in this. Mm-hmm. How much worse is it for Noah? Right. I'm like, what? I mean, like, you know, you killed the dude. Right. And is it really all that worse for him? Well, I mean, but he's stuck. Noah's right. stuck. Is he worse off? Is Noah better off? I mean, at least ultimately he has a choice in mm-hmm. what his life goes towards and he ultimately gets to experience what true friendship right. is. Right. He has friends and he has people who love him. He has people who love him and that is far 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 more than Welk will ever right. have. And again with the threes because mm-hmm. he's Welk marks off three different places right, that they have circled. Right. Yeah. One was an old copse of ash trees. I don't think we know this place no not that i can think of i don't recall those being mentioned Mm -hmm. Uh, another is uh the ruined church which is where they find noah right right Mm -hmm. and the third is it's cave's water because it's where he killed noah right yeah it's not only is it where they find noah but it's also where the corpse road goes through right so it's the same church, yeah. And then the Caves Water, which is, you know, where he killed Noah, which mm-hmm. it, which Walt describes as a sinister group of oak trees with old words carved into one of the trunks. 
Latin for the second road. And I'm wondering, like, do we see that later? Not in these books. I did find some kind of, (laughs) I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say terribly trustworthy references, but there were a couple of places that I did find that referenced second road as being something like a ley line. Okay. So something like a corpse road or something like a fairy path. And then my question here is, so it's a group of old oak trees and there's words carved in Latin and who carved the words because it's okay so yes oak trees live a long time Mm -hmm. would it have been artemis's time which would have been 400 years give or take because this is pre-ronin right so ronin does give us latin in caves water but Mm -hmm. i mean this would have been far pre-ronin right i'm just like who carved yeah it's a a good question somebody at some point knew that this was a special place right other than the people that we know of so Mm -hmm. And we see more mention of the line needing to be woken right. and, and there needing to be a ritual right, right, performed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Welk knew this right. when he was doing his research and he knew they needed a, a ritual, but he didn't know the specifics. Right. And this is the first time that we hear that the ley line once sacrificed a re- reciprocality. Yeah, because Mallory doesn't particularly say what's necessary in the ritual. Right. Yeah. He doesn't, mm-hmm. Mallory doesn't describe the ritual specifically. No. And there's the quote, it remained spotty coming in and out of focus like a distant radio station. And it's like all of these people are concerned about making it stronger without yeah, the, making the it line. smoother. Right. Like without making it more usable. And Right. Ultimately, that's what actually is going to solve this problem. Right. And here we get the story of Welk's family downfall. Mm-hmm. So his dad had been... Also an awful person, apparently. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, his dad was trading with war criminals and evading taxes. Uh-huh. And Welk's mom knew this. Right. And Welk had guessed it. Right. But so they, they both... all are complicit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because Welk and his mom let this go on because they wanted... Right. They wanted the money and the lifestyle more yeah. than they wanted a clear conscience. Yeah. It's obliquely referenced when Welk goes for the reading that he gets from 300 mm-hmm. Fox Way. Mm-hmm. And so Welk's dad is arrested and Welk is left with nothing but the $10 in his pocket. Yeah, poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> the line about Noah's girlfriend is like, ugh! Yes! Ugh. Oh, my second girlfriend you, is actually Noah's. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy is the worst! Uh-huh. I think that is totally the point where he it's like, really no, is. that's... Oh, skin crawl, right? And Mm -hmm. then freed from any hope of his Ivy League future. It's like, what, you're not, are you not capable of working for it? Like Adam? Because he's so blind to anything. Welk is so blind to anything other than his privilege. Right. And it's like, thank God. Okay. Obviously, this guy is set up to be a possible future for Gansey. Gansey's mm-hmm. terrible, but he's not this dude. No. This guy. Not yeah. at all. And This then guy it, is like the epitome of like... Everything that Blue hates about the Raven Boys. Yes. This guy is the embodiment of that. Yes. Yeah. And then Cherny pulled up in his red Mustang, and it 
weirdly, so even though I had gotten the fact that Noah was a ghost, I had not understood that Cherny and Noah were the same person <laughs> until we saw the red Mustang uh-huh. in the second visit to Caveswater. Right. It took that for me to go, oh, duh. <laughs> that totally passed me by. <laughs> and so, like, when Welk is recalling Cherny showing up, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and Cherny's like, does this make you white trash now? Right. And and God, Welk so says it. I'm obsessed with white trash. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Welk says that Journey had no sense of humor. He just sometimes said things that happened to be funny. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, that, mm-hmm. that kind of fits with yeah. what we see of Noah. Yeah. So we only really get to see living Noah through the eyes of Welk and then later Noah's family. Right. A little bit with the funeral and then mostly with his sister talking about Raven Day. Right. And the two versions of Noah are so different. They really are. And it just, once again, to me, reinforces the fact that Welk was so self-centered that, that he didn't actually see no Noah, Noah. For, he didn't he, really know for who he was. Mm-hmm. And then Welk talking about the the ley line wasn't a game anymore because like he needed it. Right. And it kind of echoes the not something to be played with, uh-huh. which mostly comes from Adam's perspective, interestingly. Right. Yeah. And he's like, you know, unlock your door. We're going to do the ritual. Get in the car, loser. We're going shopping. <laughs> And it's it's like he was so desperate and he wanted to to keep in place in society so badly. He was willing to do like anything for it. Yeah. He'd even kill for it. And he can't fathom someone else being able to get what he was so desperate to have. And he can't understand Gansey needing it too. Well, again, super self-centered. He really cannot see past. Beyond himself. What he himself wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So moving on to chapter 11, it's a blue POV. Blue wakes up early to overhear Mora and Neve talking about a mysterious masculine person, which she ruminates might be her dad. She is excited about the upcoming reading with Gansey and takes the journal that was found at Nino's to Persephone for advice. Okay. And then this scene starts out just like Gansey started out with kind of the moon full on his face. This one starts out with a gray dawn light, which really helps set the progression of the scene in that timeline of the night. Blue is woken up by Neve coming home and being cornered by Mora. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned before this is a, a three beat, right? Of it's someone being woken up, kind of a three beat. Usually, a three beat uh, storytelling has an inversion on the third beat. Mm, that's true. So, yeah, and Neve says that some things are better done at night, and this has kind of been a theme in these chapters. Right, and it's possibly a precursor to Neve doing the scrying in the backyard mm-hmm, it is. in the middle of the night. So Mora chides Neve that she didn't ask her to look at Henrietta. Right. And Neve says that it shouts. Right, right. And it whispers to uh, Gansey and Welt. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is because Neve is psychic. Mora's next sentence is, I would prefer if you left Blue out of it, out of this, which it really, to me, implies that it shouted because of Blue's influence in 300 fox way right that mm. that makes sense mm-hmm. now that now that you mentioned that yeah so blue is very surprised to hear her mother using a masculine pronoun she says she can't remember the last time she heard it right right like yeah. other than mm-hmm. other than gansey and it takes her a minute to realize oh they might be talking about my dad 
Yeah, and Neve responds, do you not want her to know who he is? And Mora snaps, I don't see how that would be easier for anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, then why the hell is she looking for him? Right. Because if it's not for Blue to know her father, then like Mora is never really given a motivation in this. Right. Why is Mora being so slippery about this? Yeah. I don't understand. I've I've had that question like the whole time. There's this outrageous list of occupations that Blue's dad seems to have had. Had or mm-hmm. that she says that he's had, it really seems to imply that she expects Blue will not believe her, mm-hmm. um, but to also not question her seriously. It's a deflection. Right. And why, Mora? Uh-huh. Like, just tell her the truth. And Blue's daydreams about her father really seem poignant, uh-huh. proudly watching his strange daughter daydream under the beech tree. Artemis, I can only believe that he was something more. Once upon mm-hmm. a time, like Mora says, because he's so disappointing when we finally right. meet him. And all three of them say... Yeah, yeah, that he was something more. Well, at least Kala and Mora both say... I don't remember if Persephone... Uh, she's dead. I think she might be. <laughs> and then Blue was awfully fond of her father. Don't be, uh-huh. It's not worth it. Um <laughs> Something to think about later is Blue's false daydreams of her father that she's never met versus Ronan's false impression of a father that was often gone. Right. And the surface of the journal feels like the beech tree's bark. It's her happy Mm -hmm. place. She's instantly connecting this to the place that she loves the most. And it's like magic, like a place she belongs. It's Mm -hmm. once comforted and anxious, reassured and driven to action. And that's pretty much Gansey. Gansey. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. And Neve thinks to herself, Henrietta is quite a place, Neve had said. And the journal seemed to agree, but a place for what? She wasn't sure. Yeah. She does manage to fall back asleep. Right. For a little while, but then like wakes up Mm -hmm, with the thought mm -hmm. that today is the day that Gansey has his reading. Right. And this is, okay, so is this shout figurative or sort of literal in that like, is it actually an internal shout in her own brain? Because Welk was woken by whispers. Right. And to make it, it louder. had just said uh-huh. that Blue makes it shout. Right. So I was like, wait a second. Is that supposed to be a parallel there? It it may it yeah. may actually be. Yeah. And she mentions as she wakes up that the conversation between her mother and Neve felt more commonplace, mm-hmm. but that the journals still felt magical. And I'm right. I'm thinking, well, it is basically like the condensed version of your entire quest. Right. Yeah. And Blue opens the journal and reads us a quote that is more details on the prize for waking Glendower and that by waking Glendower, you get a favor. Right. And I'd actually like to read the passage because it's beautiful. The king sleeps still under a mountain and around him is assembled his warriors and his herds and his riches. By his right hand is his cup filled with possibility. On his breast nestles his sword waiting to to wake. Fortunate is the soul who finds the king and is brave enough to call him to wakefulness, for the king will grant him a favor, as wondrous as can be imagined by a mortal man. What I find really interesting here is that Blue herself is in this passage, Mm -hmm. in the his cup is filled with possibility, and that reflects the page of cups filled with potential. Mm -hmm. And Ronan potentially could be in this, his sword waiting to to wake. 
mm-hmm. as a dreamer, which makes me wonder where Adam is. I mean, I'd like to think he's Glendower, but that's just me. <laughs> but uh, well, I was thinking that Gainsey might be Glendower. Yeah. Gainsey is Glendower and Adam is the one who wakes him. Right. Which, yeah. you know, because like, as we've talked before, Adam really does a whole lot of the actual progression of the plot. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Blue talks about feeling like there's a larger, terribly curious blue about to burst out of the smaller, <laughs> more sensible blue. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of an accurate summary. And I just of- picture this matriarch. Wait. Matryoshka? Ma- Ma- Matryoshka. Yes. Thank you. I picture, picture Matryoshka of blues. Like <laughs> Russian nesting doll blues. <laughs> I'm making funny faces for those yes. who can't see me. And, and I, I just want to note that she basically, when she's thinking about what she would ask for, mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. basically gets yes, everything she, she wants. She actually gets uh-huh. everything yeah, pretty much. She, I not mean, specifically the money because we don't see that. Like she gets someone who's going to pay her way. Yeah, basically. I mean, I mean, not not to say that like Blue's not a gold digger, right? But she does not have to worry about money when she's with Henry and Gansey. Right. They are going to take care of her uh-huh. and they have the money to do so. And she, you know, she meets her dad. Right. And she finds her own version of magic. Correct. And she saves Gansey and she gets a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also said she gets all of these, but like here she's starting with her search for an identity. Uh-huh. And like so many of the others, when they find out what's going to happen, she'd ask the king to save mm-hmm. Gansey's life, which, you know, really is kind of that heart of the books. Yes. There. Yeah. She mentions seeing high school as a holding pattern. And I, I feel like all of them feel this way to some extent. Mm-hmm. And partly that's just life. And partly it's because... Everything is repeating. Some for some of them, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. see Adam seeing it as a holding pattern. Yeah, I can. I it's can see really that a means to an end. Yeah, and jumping far, far, far in the future, while we don't know it yet, Gansey has already begun to suspect he'll die before he can finish the school year. So that kind of puts a damper on striving for a diploma. Yeah, it really does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being weird and proud of it was an asset to Blue all like mm-hmm. from way early on. And I feel like it's a double-edged sword for her. Right, right. Because people will leave her alone. Right. And, and like, you know, not bully her. Mm-hmm. But also they leave her alone and she doesn't have any friends. Right, right. And and also, like, like they don't want to hang out with her. But she doesn't want to hang out with them either because mm-hmm. she feels like normal is boring. Right. She says her family remained her closest friends. And kind of like Gansey started out as the old man Mallory, Mm -hmm. Blue started out basically as being a character that was an empath and picked up on the emotions of other people. So in the original drafts of the story, Blue very much separated herself from other humans because she was constantly picking up on their emotions. And Maggie didn't think that was interesting. Of course, she was 19 when she wrote the first draft. So there was a a large, like, learning curve there. Mm -hmm. Um, But Blue eventually became not an empath, but somebody who actually was interactively powered, someone who made other people better, which gave her a reason to interact with people. But 
therefore her isolationism Mm -hmm. is actually because of her personality because she's prickly and judgmental and (laughs) like well I mean this is literally Maggie's Uh words yeah I know that she had taken this power that was isolationist and turned it into a personality trait that was isolationist and I just think that's really interesting because basically Blue is calling herself out here right and saying that this is mm-hmm. this is what my problem is. Right. And she goes on to say that she really hopes that there are people out there like her who are weird and strange just like her. And right. she and she thinks it's possible that Adam might be one. Yeah. And I'm just like He's not at this point though, which is funny. <laughs> I mean <laughs> He's I'm, pretty I mean, normal. He's, eh. he's the he is the most normal one. The normal one. one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she is attracted to the normal one uh-huh. right now. <laughs> but like I read that and I'm like, yes, hold on just a little bit longer. You're yeah. about to find your tribe. Yeah. Having a tribe is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving on to when she wakes up, she seeks out Persephone, and this is the first time we've interacted with Persephone at right. all. Mm-hmm. She mentions that Persephone, like, shouts and tosses and turns in her sleep so much so that she can't share a room. I'm like, wow, Persephone is super smart. (laughs) I'm fairly sure she's faking it. I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm an awful human. I would totally fake that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm a tosser, but yeah, yeah. but I'm not that bad. Yeah, um, I kick people in the head. Apparently, anyway, continue. I was that way when I was little. But, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it describes Persephone a little bit. She had a white blonde mane that fell to the back of her thighs. And she wore elaborate quizzical dresses. I love that description. Quizzical dress. Quizzical. I yeah. Know. And, so uh, good. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And with true mirror black eyes, with pupils hidden in darkness. Yeah, she's described as very delicate and otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And Almost I, like a China doll. Yeah, yeah. My comment was, insert Stevie Nicks gif here. Yes. <laughs> and when Blue goes into the room and knocks on the door, and Persephone's like, it's too early, my words aren't working. Right, yeah. So, so I'll just use as many of the ones that work for you as I can. Mm-hmm. And I've been there. Yeah. That is so me in the mornings. So I have a question. So does Persephone pull words out of people's heads? Like Noah? Yeah. Is Persephone dead already? She might be. <laughs> it's it's possible. Yeah. All right. And, anyway. Blue, and Blue says that the room smelled familiar, like oranges or baby powder or a new textbook. And I'm just like, these things don't smell at all similar. No, but they're all comforting. <laughs> yes, they in are. In some way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just like, but they don't smell similar. How can they be like this no, or this like, or this? Like, like, like. <laughs> it's, I feel like that is more the emotional resonance than right. the smells themselves. Right. And she mentions that Persephone is always working on her PhD. And we never find out what it is. I know. I'm, she never gets to like, finish I'm it. so freaking curious. Uh-huh, me too. You mentioned somewhere, like, come on, do, like, a short story for us, Maggie, well, yeah, but she's later, not. Later. Yeah, yeah. That Persephone had a lover or a husband who was dead or overseas, and she missed him, or at least noticed that he wasn't there, which was right. which was notable so, for Persephone. So it was like, sad. It's so it's sad. Like... Persephone had written three, three times in three different handwritings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm like, we've seen three handwritings so yeah. far. Yeah, we've had Adam and Gansey and Noah so far, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the three you were thinking of? Right. Yeah, okay. And a recipe for banana cream pie. Yes, because... <laughs> 
she bakes. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. what she does. So uh, my question here is, again, is Persephone practicing psychography, which is like automatic writing, mm-hmm. where basically you're pulling words out of thin air? Right. So Neve is good with numbers and mm-hmm. Jimmy is good with pulling numbers out of thin right. air. And that's something that's established in their character. So I'm wondering if Persephone has something similar where she's good at pulling words right. out of thin, thin air. And she mentions again that, that mm-hmm. important things come in threes, right. but also sevens. And I'm like, are we missing the sevens? Not that I could think of, mm-hmm. not off the top of my head, but... That's a little harder to keep fact, track of. Other than the fact that like it's one of my favorite numbers, but mm-hmm. like... That's everybody's favorite yeah. number. <laughs> it's one of the easy I ones, like three. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I like the line, that's a lot of vanilla. One wonders if that was a misprint. Or, a typo. Or a typo. Yeah. Reminds me of the vanilla flavoring like anger in the Raven King mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if I don't know if someone's mad maybe she's picking up on yeah maybe vanilla because fl- she if I don't she's, know I mean maybe Mora uh, yeah uh, I don't know but anyway yeah, it was what yeah. what what made me think of it it's the other time that vanilla specifically is mentioned in the right. series and it's Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to mention that I can totally hear the conversation downstairs between uh-huh. Orla uh-huh. and, and Mora, like with Orla, because like throughout the whole time that Persephone mm-hmm. and Blue are talking, Orla's like, Blue, get ready for school. Blue, you got to leave for school. And then you get Mora. I'm not going to tell you uh, again. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, I can just hear the two of them down there with Orla just like, Pouting, like she won't listen to me, and and Mora just being like, "Fine, Blue." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Blue took the journal to Persephone to get a less down to earth look at it. Right, kind like, of. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Like she wanted a more mystical look at it. Right. And yeah, why? Mm-hmm. I I say this later, but why does she go to Persephone? I mean, why not? If she actually wanted to know what the journal was, why didn't she go to Kala, who could just touch the journal and tell her everything about Yanzi? Mm, that's true. But again, I, like... Because, I mean, is it because Kala's practical about yes, these things? I think I think that's what it was. Yeah, I'm super confused as to why Persephone mm. is the one that she goes to. But anyway, right. continue. And, you know, Persephone's like, oh, it's obviously a boy's journal. And he's taking so long yeah. to find it. But again, if Yanzi has been through this and knows where Glendower is, why is it taking right. him so long? What is the trigger event? Right. <laughs> and Blue thinks to herself that Gansey must love the search and that the journal is an academic piece of art. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yeah. on both counts. Yeah, I'm sorry, Maggie. I know that you are the creator, but this quote alone proves that Gansey is a Ravenclaw because whoever put the journal together must love the hunt itself, the process of research. That is, that is that is the definition of a Ravenclaw. Is also a Gryffindor, but come on, like seriously, Gansey's <laughs> Gansey is a Ravenclaw. <laughs> and Persephone's like, to, you have to return the book. Okay. And and Blue's like, man, if I wanted to hear that, I would have asked mom. Right, right. <laughs> and then Persephone's like, and then you need to find out if it's true. Right. And just to wrap up, by the way, there is nothing anyone can say that can convince me that this journal does not have a book plate emblazoned with a knight riding a unicorn with a childish 10-year-old scrawl saying, this journal belongs to Gansey, Helen, keep out. Yes. Like, his name's nowhere in the journal? 
Seriously? <laughs> Seriously? You're trying to tell me this right now. I I believe it, it has to be. It like, had to be. It somewhere. has to have a unicorn. Uh-huh. And it has to be like some rainbows and some shit and some knights and some <laughs> stabbing a dragon and Helen keep out. Like that. <laughs> Seriously. Well, with that, we will wrap up our analysis portion, and we are moving on to the most valuable character. Woohoo! Okay, so... Who goes look, first? Look, I'm going to go first. Okay. Look, if we do not both pick Baby Chainsaw for the most valuable character, I am rage-quitting this podcast right now. Oh, no. Oh, Shannon. Do not tell me you did <laughs> not pick Baby Chainsaw. Do not... Baby... I'm, I will slam this door so hard. No. <laughs> okay, it's totally baby chainsaw. <laughs> Who did you pick? I How was gonna say not... Noah. Oh yeah. Fuck. Like like He's I mean really good. It was they're both like so important that it's it's hard to like pick one because chainsaw was actually like I, I was I was oscillating I really was oscillating between chainsaw and, and Noah. I really was. <laughs> I am like folded arms glaring. No, at I was. <laughs> it's just that like there's so much of like rage what... quit. That's it. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm back. <laughs> All right. So who are we gonna pick? Mmm, that's a tough one. All right, let's do this. Rock paper scissors shoot. Damn it. Oh, Noah, Noah! Seriously? All right. Noah! Uh, he, he did a great job. I mean, everything he does is, like, really important to stuff in this one. But baby chainsaw. But chainsaw, chainsaw does is important, too. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Chainsaw will probably get her Chainsaw time. will get... Chainsaw will almost certainly <sighs> get... But she will never be a baby again. Well, she will be. A yes, baby she again. will be. She'll, She'll be a be baby fine. for like chapters and chapters. Yeah. All right. Just to do a very, very quick Maggie watch. I just wanted to mention, like we did in episode one, that by the time this episode is released, Maggie will be on tour for all the Crooked Saints. And in order to find out information on that, she is not coming to the Pacific Northwest. I am incredibly sad about that, but she might be coming to a a town near you. So in order to find out if she is, you can look at maggiestevotter.com slash appearances for a full list of where she will be and when. And we will link to that in the show notes. And I also want to say that by this time, we will have done a special episode and released it about all the Crooked Saints. So if you did not manage to catch that when we released it in October. So to wrap up, I just want to say thanks for joining us. And our next episode will cover chapter 12 through chapter 14 of The Raven Boys with a deep dive on dowsing. And just as a reminder, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we will be covering next. And please send your thoughts because we would really, really love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or conversations or theories or fan casts or anything like that, we're, exactly. we're totally open to it. 
You can find us practically everywhere on social media. We're at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S at Twitter. And we're on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls. And you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And you can reach me or follow me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out. S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we've referenced a post or an article in this podcast, we'll do our best to include the source links to those at the end of show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Steve Otter and Scholastic Inc. And we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! Sorry, I stepped on your lines there. <laughs> <laughs>